everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and today we are getting into the divisional preview. It has been confirmed there will be an all-Canadian division. We expected it. We weren't sure for a little bit, but it has been absolutely confirmed there will be an all-Canadian division. Um, I'm currently recording this intro on Christmas Day. This will be coming out Boxing Day morning. Uh, and in this episode, I have Harmon Dial of The Athletic uh, to come break down Vancouver's season preview with me. Um, absolute great interview. I love chatting with them. I think you guys will love it as well. Uh, I just wanted to quickly talk for a minute or two before we get started, as always. Um, I'm looking for uh, people who cover the Flames and Oilers. If there's anyone that uh, you want to hear uh, on any team, really, give me a shout. But, you know, I, I've been working with a couple others. I think I have a Habs person and probably a Jets as well. Um, but yeah, Flames and Oilers are the two teams I want to I want to do hopefully in the in the uh, near future here. So if there's anyone that you want to hear that uh, covers either of those teams, shoot me a message. As always, you can find me on Twitter at LastWordOnSens or also at NHLSens and stuff. That's my main and on the, obviously the podcast account was first. Um, and you can listen, you can find or leave a review or anything like that. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, uh, just about anywhere. Um, if it's not on where you listen to podcasts, again, shoot me a message and let me know. Um, I think the only big thing of note for Ottawa that's come out really since we were recording is the schedule. It was leaking out as, uh, Harmon and I were, uh, recording and we talked a little bit just about how the, uh, schedule is going, uh, going to affect the season. It looks like the NHL kind of put um, multiple games in a row so that you could go into a, a city and play three games over six days, probably just kind of quarantine there, not leave your hotel while you're playing, go ice hotel, food, that's it, and leave. And I think that's really the smart way to do it, if I'm being uh, completely honest. Um, I, I know it'll it'll suck for the, uh, the the players while they if they have to be locked down kind of in a hotel for six days, but honestly, I think that's the best way to spread travel too much. And, and honestly... Um, uh, spread any, any any potential, uh, you know, uh, way of getting it. It's kind of like a mini bubble for, you know, a week or whatever at a time, and then you can go back home and obviously not live a normal life, but more of normal life. So, uh, yeah, quickly, I'll just look at the Ottawa Senators schedule if you guys haven't seen it. Um, they start their season on January 15th, so it's the Friday. They play back-to-back -back games against the Toronto Maple Leafs. That should be awesome. They then play Winnipeg three times in a row, twice at home, so they start with a four-game homestand, and then they go to Winnipeg once. Um, and then they got Vancouver, all in Vancouver three times in a row. So they go on a six-game road trip, play Vancouver three times in about uh, four days. And then they go to Edmonton and play two games in three days. And then they go to Montreal. Uh, and they play one game against Montreal on the road and then one at home. Uh, and then they have back-to-backs uh, against Edmonton and Winnipeg, three in a row against Toronto, uh, and two against Montreal, three against Calgary, one against Montreal. So spread out a little, but for the most part, it's uh, usually back-to-backs with the odd one game or three games sprinkled in here. It looks like their longest stretch is four games in a row against the Montreal Canadiens, which will just be a heated rivalry. Um, and they play those four games between March 28th and April 3rd. Uh, so that'll be something definitely to keep an eye out. Uh, obviously for Ottawa, and they, they also play Vancouver four times in a row uh, late in the season, in, in late April, but those are the only two four-game stretches that Ottawa has. So uh, obviously as Sens fans, you know, I, we've talked about it a lot. I, I personally don't think this team is going to be very good. Uh, just in, in terms of, uh, 
you know, how good of a division they're playing in. They're playing in a division with really no other bad teams. In the Atlantic, they would have had Detroit, and honestly, I think you could still even argue Buffalo as, you know, teams that really weren't that great in this division. Uh, you know, Harmon and I also talk about the other teams a little bit and maybe why Winnipeg's a little, uh, could fall off a bit, but at the same time, I, I really don't see any other clear bottom seven or eight teams in the league in this division other than Ottawa, and I think in the Atlantic there would have been at least two others there. So uh, it's going to be a tough year, but that being said, with a 56-game season, who knows what's going to happen? And even just the ability to take so many points off of teams in a row like that uh, could just be huge and just, you know, good momentum for Ottawa. Uh, I don't think it really matters, but let's say you go into any of these three-game stretches against Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto the four-game stretch against Montreal, if Montreal's in the thick of a playoff race and they're looking for eight points in four games out of you and you end up stealing six out of eight, they get, let's say they go one, two, and one and only get three out of eight, that could absolutely crush them. And, you know, it might just be a moral victory for Ottawa, but honestly, that would be, that's going to be awesome. Um, so, you know, we again, Harm and I talked about a little bit all of this anyway. So, uh, as I wrap this up, uh, I'll get to that as well. But I wanted to just kind of look at the send schedule uh, just as a, you know, Sens fan, because we didn't talk about the Sens exclusive, just more about how the schedule will affect other teams. But, yeah, it's going to be a lot of seeing the same six teams, and we knew that. Um, Ottawa plays, I believe it's four of the teams nine times and two of the teams ten times. So uh, it's it's a lot, a lot of games. But you know what? It's it's going to be fun, and, and for a one-off year, you know, I think we can all, all speak that we're probably just excited hockey's back. You know, I'm personally... Recording this right now during the intermission of the Russia-USA World Juniors game where um, uh, prospect Jake Sanderson is playing. Clevin is unfortunately not playing tonight, but Sanderson is. Uh, Gerventi and uh, Stutzel played earlier today. They both looked pretty solid, Stutzel especially. So, um, yeah, I'll stop rambling and I'll, I'll get to the interview. Uh, I think I speak for all Sense fans when I say this should be a very exciting year, though. Um, you know, just from prospect development and just the craziness of the schedule. Uh, definitely not like anything we've ever seen before. So, uh, with that being said, this is definitely a more Vancouver-based podcast. The next couple podcasts won't be specifically focused on the Sens. What I'm trying to do with this series is is look at the other teams that they're going to be playing, kind of understand, you know, what their roster's made up from, what their fan base is looking at, what their expectations are for the year. Um, so, you, we know we can get a better understanding of just what Ottawa's going up against this season. So, that's my goal for all six of the other teams. And then uh, I'm going to get, um, hopefully, just a big Sens season preview of someone as well to, to cap it off and just kind of review everything. So, uh, Harmon and I take a look at everything from the Canucks last season, their uh, off-season moves, what their roster looks like this year, what you know might happen this year, everything you can imagine. Um, so there is enough sense talk as well, but uh, this is definitely a Canucks deep dive, and I, I hope you guys all enjoy. Uh, and let me know, you know, what you want to see going forward as well. So uh, without more being said, uh, off to Harmon and the interview. Joining me now, he's the Canucks beat reporter for the Athletic Vancouver, Harmon Dial. How's it going? Thank you for joining me. I'm doing great, Alex. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, so I'm getting ready, ready for the division previews here, and I figured who else uh, better to have on but you. Uh, you know, you cover the Canucks uh, for your living, obviously, and um, I figured we could just go over, you know, their off season, last season. You know, um, the Canucks have actually played hockey in the past nine months, which is not something the Senators can say. Um, so we'll just kind of go over what, you know, your expectations for their season and even just the Canadian division as a whole. Um, 
as we're starting to record here, me and you were talking a second ago about how the uh, the schedules are coming out, and it looks like teams are going to be playing each other three, four, or even five times in a row. Uh, Anaheim and L.A. are playing each other five times in a row. Vancouver and Ottawa will be playing each other three times in a row on January 25th to February 1st, and then later in the year, four times in a row, too. How do you think that's going to affect um, just the way teams approach the game? You know, seeing a team two, three, four times in a row is going to be like a playoff series versus, you know, spread out over the course of five, four or five months. Exactly. And I think what you're going to see is uh, teams and especially coaching staffs will probably probably put a lot more emphasis on pre-scouting. Um, a lot of times what you see in the playoffs is that uh, teams will – uh, ex- we'll, we'll spend a ton of time just researching whether it's the other team's power play, their PK, their five-on-five strategy, and they'll just try and poke and prod at whatever weakness they can find to try and exploit it. You can't really take advantage of that so much in the regular season because you're only seeing a team one game at a time, and to do it, you know, for, you're going to see every team around the league at some point in that standard 82-game season, whereas in say the Canadian division, you're only up against six other Canadian teams. So uh, it's a lot easier to, I think, strategically plan against your competition. Um, We saw that I think most prominently, um, a a great example of of sort of the potential ramifications of that is, um, I remember back in, uh, it's either 2016 or 2017, the Leafs Bruins series. Remember when uh, the Bruins designed their forecheck to um, exploit Toronto's right side of the D. And so you might see things like that. Uh, and so teams have to be careful uh, and wary. They have to be ready to adapt tactically. And so I think coaches, the impact that they're going to have in the game is going to be more profound uh, than in typical regular seasons. So um, that and plus, I think when you see teams time and time again, it's just exciting because, you know, a, a Vancouver, Toronto, four times a year, uh, four times in a row, uh, uh, in Ottawa, Toronto, four times in a row. Like, it's just going to get um, get the flames kind of going, ignite a bit of a rivalry. I mean, I'm stoked to see the Battle of Alberta how many times in a row. I mean, that's going to be awesome. So um, I'm pretty stoked for the setup. Yeah, I think it should be really exciting. And the, the, to your point, yeah, it was the 2017-18 series, I believe, where Boston literally just forced Toronto to go to their uh, right-handed D because – they just could not move the puck, and it was just such an effective way. And I think we're going to see things like that again this year. It almost reminds me, probably not quite to the uh, same thing, but almost how, like, football coaches might be able to plan for their year throughout the year. You know, you, you get your schedule, there's 16 games on it, and you know exactly which team you're going to play, and you have the whole week to prepare. Obviously, it'll still be a little more picked up than that, but, you know, if, say, Ottawa and Vancouver play each other four times over the course of nine days, well – the first three days might just be taking the scope out what Vancouver does and they might be, you know, and there might be a game in there, but for the final three games, both teams are going to be able to adjust for what they've done over the season. And I think it'll, it'll really lead to some cool things that we get to see tactically uh, from other teams, along with just the rivalry, as you said, like, you know, Alberta, the battle of Alberta, you know, uh, Calgary and Edmonton hated each other playing each other three times in two weeks last year. Like they're going to play each other four times in eight days or whatever this year. Like it yeah. is going to be fireworks. And, I, I am very excited to watch the division this year. Um, I don't think it's something, obviously, I know people say the Canadian division should be every year. I, I don't think that's, uh, you know, just travel aside, even travel. But uh, this year it's going to be so much fun. Just And every point is going to mean so much because every game is an interdivisional game, you know, where 
it, if you're if you're Vancouver, a Vancouver Toronto game to say Calgary doesn't mean as much in a normal year because I mean obviously you don't want Vancouver taking points, but it's whatever. Like if Toronto takes points, it doesn't affect you. This game, if a game goes into overtime, you could be one team could get really hurt or helped by it just by the three point game, right? Because every game is going to be against the teams you're competing against. Definitely, and especially with the condensed schedule. Um, you've got uh, a runway here where if you get off to a slow start, it is, it is going to be uh, an absolute nightmare to try and claw back into uh, the standings race. And so the the impetus of getting off to a strong start and just hitting the ground running, um, the stakes are just enormous for that. Um, and I think that uh, one one trend that you notice with uh, with the Canucks and uh, and it applies, I think, universally is if you have a coaching staff that can sort of get get their team prepared um, and playing their sort of tight structure before other teams while other teams are still kind of figuring things out. Because we know early season action is very scrambly. Uh, teams haven't sort of figured out their systems. They don't quite have that rhythm, that coordination. It's It's pretty choppy, especially with no preseason. Um, and so that leaves other teams sometimes vulnerable. And so uh, what you've seen in Vancouver is, with the exception of last year, the Canucks have had some pretty rough seasons um, overall uh, in, in recent times. And what you've regardless seen is um, we've now had three, three seasons and, uh, and a bubble run where Travis Green has led the Canucks to a hot start. It just seems for whatever reason, every October the Canucks – are like number one or number two in the division. And then it's just November and December where they completely fall off the rails. But it's that start of the season um, where they seem to be more prepared than other teams. And so any any club that's well coached at, this, uh, at the start, um, I think is going to benefit uh, a team like Montreal that uh, under Claude Julien, they're so structured, not the most talented club. Um, I think they might have the slightest edge to get off to an early start. And you saw that again in the bubble resuming to play they were ready to go quicker than Pittsburgh was even though the Penguins are a better team so uh just for that reason I think uh you, you meant you hit on all the right points as far as um a lot of these aren't just going to be two-point games but essentially all of them are four-point games because you're playing against your direct competition in the division um but uh again I think getting off to a strong start is going to be so so important yeah, for sure. And yeah, preparation is going to be massive. And I think there is maybe, it'll be interesting to see anyways. I mean, there's not too many, I don't think there's any teams in the Canadian division that have a new head coach, but for those teams that fired their head coach this off season, you know, it's going to be even harder to just try and adjust to a new team because you're going to have a little bit of a training camp here, but I mean, it's really not going to be like a normal training camp, right? And you're trying to figure out exactly what to do, build a new structure. And I'm sure these guys have been talking all um, off season, but there's only so much you can do over Zoom or with it, just a couple people on the ice, right? So yeah, having that just um, similarity from year to year, I think is going to be huge for teams. And honestly, in the Canadian division, it's so close. And there's a lot of that from team to team, you know, like um, Ottawa is one of the biggest change teams. And I know, you know, I think if you ask pretty much anyone, they're probably going to be seventh in a ranking on the Canadian teams. And that's fair. But um, as you said, just a hot start or a cold start can either help or kill your season. And I think, you know, for Ottawa fans anyways, 
Um, having no expectations and a 56-game season actually helps them this year. I expect them to still be the worst in this team in this division. But if you get a, 10, a hot 10-game start, you're going to be right in the playoff mix no matter what for the entire year because it's just there, there's no time to lose those points in the middle of the year, right? So a hot start is going to be critical for any team who's uh, – got you know playoff aspirations especially because we know how the playoffs are going to work it's four teams make it three teams don't in this division so it's not like you know five teams can make it because of the wild card it's four in three out and you know another's four in four out so a hot start is absolutely going to be crucial and the shorter the season the more of uh the higher the possibility of just kind of random variants taking over um and you see this so often in the playoffs where um, like who would have expected two years ago Columbus to sweep Tampa Bay? Yeah, like exactly. That, it's right? just completely, completely bonkers. I think that was a year where all, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, seeds. but all four of the division leaders lost in the yep. first round. Yeah. So it's just when you and so you see it most prominently in the playoffs, which is I get even, um, which is a hyper small sample size. But um, when you when you go from 80 to, 82 to 56, especially if teams run into injuries in this condensed format, um, you could be in to see some very crazy things going on um, in the season because the, the way it usually works is the longer a season kind of goes, the more games you have, the, the more sample size uh, you build, the closer teams kind of regress to their mean because there's a difference between a team's talent or ability level and the outcomes that they're actually that you're actually observing right a team like uh let's say toronto last year they may have on on paper their ability level is very high but the way they started the season was so rocky and you know by the you know before the shutdown came they were still in the thick of the playoff race but if if it was a 56 game season well then all of a sudden they don't have they don't have the time to get back into the race. And um, so there are more opportunities for teams to more drastically out or underperform their true ability level. Um, and so that variance just makes it so exciting, especially again, in a division as wide open as the Canadian one. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we'll get into, you know, where we predict everyone to fall um, in a second. And, you know, with this Canadian division, it just feels like it could, it honestly, I mean, in any given year, there's there's things we don't see coming, right? You know, like there's always um, a New Jersey 2017 run to the playoffs with Taylor Hall or, you know, just in any year, you know, name one team that's just kind of clinging on the playoffs. But um, in this division, I mean, I think most people other would say other than Ottawa, you know, any combo of four teams making it would be reasonably, you know, expectable, you know, like um, – Winnipeg, if um, Hellebuck has another amazing season, you know, they could be anywhere from first to fourth in the division. However, if he takes even a slight step back and the forward core doesn't improve, who knows where they're going to land, you know? Same with Toronto. Like, if Toronto needs to get steady goaltending and their defensive game needs to improve. But if those things improve, you know, they might just run away with the division. And I I wanted to ask you, uh, with Vancouver, you know, the the biggest – Changes with them, obviously, this, this offseason was losing Markstrom, I would say, was the one biggest name. And they, they bring in Holtby to try and replace them. What do you think needs to go uh, right for them to make the playoffs? Or what do you think is the biggest potential thing that could go wrong that would see Vancouver's season falter? I think there are three factors that um, I'm going to be looking for. Uh, number one is is goaltending. Markstrom, 
Um, over the last two seasons, if you look at um, the proprietary data that ClearSight Analytics has, relative to the defensive environment that he was playing, playing for, he saved more goals than any other goalie over the last two years, cumulatively. Um, he was just this workhorse starter. He bailed the team out on so many occasions. He was the team MVP consecutive seasons. Um, and it's for a reason. He, he stole some, some big wins for them. He gave them steady goaltending. Uh, goal um, I talked to a couple of scouts. They, they, they said they would have had him number three on their Vesna ballot. Like that's how good he was. He was definitely a top five starter um, last year. And so to, to, to lose him, we'll see what the probabilities are of, uh, of a Braden Holtby bounce back. And, and obviously Thatcher Demko was phenomenal in the bubble in, in three games against Vegas. Um, the thing is, even if Demko and Holtby are a good goaltending tandem, which I think they can be, that's still like Markstrom's the, the bar that he's left behind is just, it's 20 stories high. So even if, even if they're good, there's still a little bit of a gap there that you've still lost in, in, in the caliber of your goaltending. So um, with respect to Demko and Hopi, it's just a question of how much of that gap can they bridge. And then number two is the power play. Um, Vancouver actually got outscored at five on five over the course of the regular season. It was their elite power play that, that you know, helped them cross the finish line. And it wasn't just the efficiency like in terms of being a top five power play team. But it was the volume of power plays that they drew. They were, I, I believe, top three in the league at drawing penalties. So if any of those two factors um, falter, and especially you look at power play too, they, they were running hot. And, and you can't – those those guys are a little bit less um, certain on if they can repeat that sort of performance. If that slips, you might be in a little bit of danger. And then number three is just uh, injuries, honestly, because Vancouver, they've got – um, elite top end talent with their top six here. You, you like their top four in the back end, but they are very, very weak in terms of their depth, in terms of their bottom six, in terms of the depth on their blue line. If they run into injuries with any of their key guys, um, then they could run into some trouble. Yeah. And those are all very great points, you know, and the injury thing this year, especially too, um, I mean, like it won't be shocking if a team gets a COVID case or, or a couple, you know, we've seen it in literally every other sport that's come back to play that hasn't been in a hard bubble, um, you know, teams are going to get some COVID cases and, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll see people getting vac uh, vaccines and the, hopefully that'll include the league sooner rather than later, you know, along with the general public, but to start, you know, they're going to be at risk. So it's not just, you know, injuries, but you know, you, you see, I'm, I'm a big NFL fan and like the Denver Broncos had to play a game without any started starting quarterback because all three of them went on the COVID list. Uh, there's, you know, the chance that a team could lose their top line because, you know, they were in close proximity to someone who uh, tested positive for COVID and might, they might miss a game or two. And that's why I think this year depth in terms of injuries, but also COVID is going to be more important than ever. You know, uh, we saw they're going to have a bit of a taxi squad that they're going to be allowed to call in. So they'll have those people. But at the same time, you know, if any team loses their top line or, you know, a, a top player or two for a stretch of time, it's going to be hard. And, and that's why definitely depth, I think this year is going to be so important. And um, the other thing was the goaltending. That's a really great point and why, I feel like I'm maybe a little lower than the general public is on Vancouver, just because I, I am a tad worried about just how much they relied on their goaltending last year and, or sure. in the two, two past years. Right. And um, I, I, I think Braden Holtby will have a bit of a bounce back season. He was, he was really, really bad last year. And 
I, I don't know if some people really realize just how poor he was um, from evolving hockey's data. You know, he, he ranked, I think he had goal saved above average of minus 17 and above expected of minus 12, um, you know, and Washington's not the greatest defensive area, but our team out there, but I think he'll come up from that. But again, it's gotta be, you know, Demko's going to have to take another big step up, I think for them to, um, at least stay around where they were last year. Because as you said, like the, the step down, even if Demko's great this year, the step there still might be a big step down for Markstrom just because he's legitimately been a top five goalie, I'd argue, over the past two seasons. And, um, you know, it, it, it sucks for Vancouver that he stayed in division and they're going to be seeing him a bunch this year. But, yeah, that's probably my biggest question this year too is just what is the goaltending tandem going to look like? And is it going to be – is there going to be enough internal growth from Vancouver to be able to overcome – any possible regression in the, in the net. For sure. And with, um, with Holpe, what I find really interesting is because I'm actually just working on, uh, on a story about Holpe. Um, I came in, my initial suspicion was I, I, I did, I did the same thing. I looked at, looked at the below 900 save percentage, looked at the evolving hockey uh, numbers for his goaltending. And I went, even if he does bounce back, like that's a lot of ground that he has to make up. Um, but what's interesting is I spoke to uh, Kevin Woodley, who, um, for, for those that aren't aware, he's uh, he's he's a goaltending expert. <laughs> he is um, the smartest guy I know on goaltending. Like the, he knows he knows basically every goalie coach around the league. He's 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 been in contact. He knows most goalie. He he runs a in goal magazine, right? Like this is a subscription site that caters not only to uh, amateur goalies, but they've also got, um, I think, 20 of 31 NHL teams subscribed or something. But uh, the, the point being, he actually looked at, and again, it's, it, it, it's the difference between, and, and it's the de- debate between public and black, black box metrics, because um, what he mentioned to me, because I came in with the same skepticism about Holpe, was that, ClearSight Analytics, which can take into account uh, pre-shot movement, so passing, it, it just has a little bit more data inputs like screens, that kind of stuff. Um, it actually said that Holpe had the lowest expected save percentage of all goaltenders in the National Hockey League last year. So it just reflected super poorly on Washington's goaltending. Like the number he gave me was that uh, Holpe's expected save percentage, so what a league average uh, goalie would have delivered in that environment was uh, uh, something around an 880 safe percentage. So it was that bad, supposedly. Now, uh, I don't know how much stock you want to put into the public metrics via uh, versus the black box ones. Obviously, we don't know how to trust the, we, we, we haven't tested the black box ones. Um, but at the same time, they do have more data inputs. Um, and so that's, it's interesting just to look at that diversion in in in, in sort of the Holpe evaluation because if you look at evolving hockey, you know that says Holpe was awful last year, and um, Clearside Analytics would tell you, yes, he wasn't very good, but it was largely a product of his defensive environment. So um, that's going to be really interesting to follow. Um, I'm I'm not still hundred percent uh, sure what to make of it. Um, I think what Vancouver has going for them is, um, and, and, and what people here are kind of banking on is, uh, the goaltending coach here, Ian Clark, is basically a legend. I mean, the way that he was able to revive Markstrom's career, um, people give 
a ton of credit to Clark for that. Um, one of the best goalie coaches in the NHL. Um, and just the way that he, he was able to turn Markstrom into like heading into the 2018-19 season, a lot of people were saying bust, right? Um, he passed through waivers, I believe, a season or two ago too. So it was like his stock was really low. And then we've obviously seen the, the, the level that he's reached since. Um, and we know the importance that goaltending coaches have around the league. I mean, um, Sergei Bobrovsky in Columbus was really able to find his game. And he goes off to Florida and he loses his, his technical side. So um, there's just so many moving parts of the goaltending equation. And, you know, as we often like to joke uh, in the analytics community, it's, it's kind of voodoo. Um, and so you don't really know what to expect out of Holpe and Demko, but it is, um, as you noted, probably the biggest X factor for the Canucks for the Canucks success success next season. Yeah, and it being voodoo, uh, I mean, like it, it is really like it, there's just you, you get random like Darcy Kemper has been one of the best goalies over the past two years when healthy, and yeah. it's like this guy bounced around to like six different teams. You know, Devin Dubnik was a Vesna caliber goalie for a year and a half after almost being out of the NHL. But and so to the Canucks credit, I think the best way to um, almost harness that voodoo is give yourself as many chances as you can with goalies who could be good. You know, um, yeah. it's again, like I, I go back to the NFL, it's kind of the same thing of it's good to maybe overpay a little bit for a backup that you know is going to be good because if your starter falters, you have that much more of a chance of your backup being good in the NHL. It's way more important because your backup's going to be playing as well, no matter what. Right. So you know, yes, Holby, he struggled last year, but I mean, even, you know, if you can combine, you know, both the um, black box stats and just kind of what we have, um, yes, we have seen goalies fall off a cliff at, you know, in their thirties, but he's early thirties. And, you know, you can even look at his bare stats and go, okay, does the guy fall from a nine 11 two years ago? And, you know, and uh, I know uh, three years ago, he struggled a bit too, but then he ended up going on a Stanley cup uh, run that won them the cup. Um, and then he's a 9-11 over 59 games two years ago, and then he drops to an 8-97. You know, I think it's also fair to say, okay, maybe it's somewhere in the middle there. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, just given, you know, everything we know. So um, I, I do like, I thought, um, just given, you know, that uh, they priced themselves or Markstrom priced himself out of what they could afford, I thought that Braden Holtby was an all right bet as, you know, a backup on two years for, or not even a backup, but a tandem guy for two years, 4.3 million as, as an insurance policy. Because um, the other thing I wanted to bring up here was uh, as of right now, the Vancouver Canucks are not under the salary cap. Uh, There's a, there's a bunch of teams in this boat as well, but um, do you envision this being an issue at all? Or do you think they're just going to, you know, send someone down and that'll, that'll help them out? Cause right now they're sitting at about 80, I think 1.5, over the cap, um, is there anything to worry about there, or are they just going to, you know, send someone down and and bring them back up as the season starts? Yeah, no, they can just um, they have a couple things going for them actually. They because uh, I played around with cap friendly a bunch. Um, I, I think what, what what you'll see is you send someone like Berchi down, um, and then once once you just have your standard emotions. Um, they'd fit under the cap just barely anyway. And then on top of that, Michael Furland is expected to go on LTI. Um, he's obviously run through some concussion issues. And so there was actually discussion about, I think the exact number when I played around with it was the Canucks after putting Furland on LTI um, had around two and a half million dollars to work with in an excess room that they could have gone out. And so the conversation actually was, okay, are they going to go out and sign uh, a Travis Hamanick or, or an Eric Kala to bolster their depth? 
Um, that doesn't appear to be the case. Um, the Canucks are actually, ironically, in a little bit more of a cash crunch than a cap crunch because it just seems that ownership um, wants to uh, be conservative in expending um, hard cash this year. Um, you, you look at the construction of the structure of a lot of their contracts, RFA, UFA ones, um, they're really heavily backloaded for 2022. So uh, on that basis, I, th- I think they're fine cap wise. And that's, that's good to hear, you know, because um, as I mentioned, there's, there's a ton of teams that are over the cap right now. Like, uh, and, and in this division too, like Winnipeg, Montreal and Edmonton and Toronto, so five of the teams in this division are over the cap. And again, most of them, I think Vancouver is the most over. So most of them will be fine by just sending someone down. Um, but, you know, you don't you ever want to see, um, obviously, the, uh, the the pandemic affected, you know, teams in a way that uh, you really just could not see coming. You know, we were projecting, I think, a three-ish million dollar raise in the cap this year and probably two next year. And it ends up staying flat. And, you know, that really squeezed the market for a lot of guys as we're starting to see more guys sign um, – you know, smaller deals, uh, Eric Hall signed for 1.75 mil today, Grandland 3.75 mil the other day, like uh, for leak signed today, 750K, uh, just, you know, like a, a lot of really small deals like that. So, um, you know, it, it's both players and teams feeling it, obviously. And um, it'll be interesting to see how some of the other teams uh, squeeze themselves under the cap. But uh, it's good for Vancouver, obviously, that they don't have to worry about it. And um, from an Ottawa perspective, they are – so far down the other way that uh, they, they really don't need to worry about anything either. Um, yeah. The, the other thing I want to touch on this year, because uh, I, I'm very curious to see how it plays out in Vancouver. And it's one of the things that uh, this off season, I, I thought they actually upgraded in probably, and that's their defense core. Um, I know Christopher Tanev was a big fan favorite uh, for, you know, for the team and, and fans will definitely miss them, but um, I think bringing in, especially if you're just looking at this year, you know, if you put inside contract, but even with contract, um, upgrading, you know, Tanov to Nate Schmidt, I think could be um, of huge assistance for the, uh, the, the Canucks this year. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, what you expect from this defense core and um, do you expect uh, Schmidt to make a big difference? And, you know, maybe what you see from Quinn Hughes as well, can he take another step forward from what we saw last year? Absolutely. I think when you look at the top four, um, and the defense core as a whole, I think you're really banking on this group to stay healthy because um, if, if that ends up being the case, then I think you're pretty happy with, uh, with your top four at least. Um, Nate Schmidt comes in. I think he's a pretty significant overall upgrade on Chris Tanev. Um, Tanev was a defensive stalwart, but at this stage in his career just lacked the puck moving and, and offensive acumen to really um, uh, bolster his all-around impact, whereas Schmidt comes in, um, he's an upper echelon puck mover, really dynamic player, excellent skater. Um, he's got tons of experience playing matchup minutes uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. He is uh, a legitimate top pairing caliber defenseman. Uh, and so to be able to acquire him for just a third round pick and to weaponize the cap space that way, um, I thought that was a really shrewd acquisition. Um, he instantly becomes their second best defenseman and it's not even close to be honest. And um, if you can sort of separate Hughes and uh, and Schmidt there what and play them on separate pairings, then what you ensure is that you have a strong puck mover at all times in your top four. That's really important because you go back to that Vegas series and the Canucks had a ton of uh, trouble breaking the puck out of their own end against Vegas's ferocious forecheck. So 
Um, that's a really uh, crucial upgrade, I think. And it could even help in terms of, like, if Schmidt plays with Alex Edler, that's the best partner Edler's had in years. Um, so that, uh, that would be a huge assistance to him. Um, and then, uh, and then Tyler Myers sort of slots in there as well. I, I, I think he's, uh, he's fine as number four or five, even though you don't like the contract. Um, and then beyond that, I think it's, again, it just comes down to whether you can stay healthy because the one concern that I know the Canucks coaching staff has is they look at this and they, and they made a push for this, but it seems as if, uh, ownership has kind of shut them down, but, um, the coaching staff looked at the back end, looked at the depth and said, well, you know, our, our group is more shallow. Like if, if Alex Edler goes down with injury, like he so often does, or if Tyler Myers goes down with injury, who's, who's our number five or number six, who's going to step up. And you're looking at, you know, perhaps Jordy Ben, who was a healthy scratch for most of the second half of the season. You're looking at uh, maybe Ole Ulevi, who has one NHL game under his belt. Um, and, and after that, you're just, again, looking at more prospects and kind of AHL guys. So that's where I think you're really missing a veteran steady number five, um, almost to fill in that Troy Stetcher role. Like he was perfect for that, for the Canucks last season. And I think he's quietly going to be, um, a, a substantial loss because what he would do is he would start the season on your bottom pair. And when injuries inevitably strike, now all of a sudden he's holding down the fort. He's going to competently play top four minutes. You can trust him. Um, in high leverage situations and he's going to be sturdy defensively he makes a good first pass you don't worry about him in your top four like you do uh, a Ben or a Levy. so you know I, I think the Canucks they were hoping that they would have been able to make it work with a Travis Hamanick I don't think that's uh, in the cards anymore so I think they're susceptible to potential injury risk on the back end but again if they stay healthy then I think the top four you're just going to lean a little bit more heavily on them yeah, and, and I think that's totally fair, you know, and uh, they do look very, very shallow at the back end, and it's somewhere where it's like you, you really just got to cross your fingers, especially that, like, Hughes and Schmidt can stay healthy. Like, those are the two huge pieces that uh, just under no circumstance can they miss a long period of time, I don't think, this year. But, um, yeah, as you said, the, the Stetcher thing, he, he was the kind of perfect guy of that number four five role where it's like, he's not going to do anything, you know, special, really. Like, he's not going to stand out or anything like that. But as you said, he could step up and he could play in whatever pair he needs for, you know, a couple games. Obviously, if he's your number three defenseman heading into the year, you don't want that. But at the same time, if he becomes your number three for two or three games, you're going to be okay because he's all right at that. And I I definitely agree with you where I think they could use an extra piece. Um, Obviously, they've been hoping that Ole Ulevi would uh, develop into maybe that piece, but at, at 22 years old, I don't know. Like, Obviously, you'd know a little better than I would, but I think just at this point and everything we've seen from his development, it'd be risky to assume that that's what he would be. So it is a shame that they can't get, over, uh, can't get out and get a Travis Hamanick or even a Sammy Vatanen who – you know, has his own struggles in his own end and whatnot. But if he needs to be your 3-4 defenseman for a couple games, he absolutely can be. Um, I, I just, you know, obviously, as you said, with the cash uh, concerns and even just, you know, cap restraints, I, I just don't see them being able to go get someone like that, at least now. But maybe that's something they look closer to a trade deadline, you know, whenever that may be. For sure. And, um, you know, you mentioned you Levy, and, and he's, I think, going to be one of the most interesting players to watch for a camp because – uh, internally, the Canucks are super bullish uh, on him. Um, they saw kind of the way the year went for him was 
Um, you talk to anyone that uh, watched him in Utica, uh, and he really didn't stand out, to be completely honest with you. If you took the names off the back of the jerseys, you wouldn't look at yeah, uh, you wouldn't watch you levy and be like that guy is is going to that guy's knocking on the door of an NHL spot. So he was unspectacular at the AHL level, um, and then he sort of but he came into camp and you know part of it is the injuries, right? Like he's gone through, he's already had at this stage in his career uh, a lower back procedure. You know he he missed almost an entire year with uh, an ACL, a knee, a major knee injury. Um, hip issues. So that's been part of the reason perhaps that he hasn't been particularly great uh, in, uh, in the AHL, but he came into, in, into uh, training camp and returned to play and, uh, and he looked a lot better. Um, his skating was, um, was a lot more free flowing. It wasn't a problem like it was when you watched him in the Comet, uh, watch him with the Comets. Um, and so again, those were only scrimmages and that was only a two week you know, training camp. So it's kind of hard to gauge um, where exactly he's at, but he played so well that uh, they brought him to the bubble in, Ed- in Edmonton, even though he wasn't even the radar to kind of win that sort of job, stepped into that one playoff game against Minnesota, didn't look out of place, even though he only played like six minutes. Um, so we'll see where he's at. Um, I have concerns about his skating. Um, I-, I wonder if he could defend the rush. Uh, well enough at the NHL level if he can uh, excel at defensive zone retrievals well enough to be uh, a, a good puck mover. Um, but uh, he's going to be really important. And if not him, it's going to have to be another prospect like a Jack Rathbone or uh, a Brogan Rafferty. I think what you're going to most likely see for the Canucks on the back end, at least to start the season, um, on the bottom pair is one of these prospects, whether it's um, Rafferty, Levy, Rathbone, uh, and then Jordy Ben, because Jordy Ben can play either the left or the right side. He's actually better on the right side, ironically enough. Um, so um, I think that's the that's the sort of combination you're looking at. And, 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 and as you alluded to, if you do run into issues, um, if Edler goes down, I, I always look at Edler because he's the one that usually goes down, right? Yeah. Uh, at, at around the 20-game mark. Usually it's in November or December where uh, he's out for six weeks. Um, with some injury. and um, yeah, But if that happens, then uh, I think you've got to have a contingency plan. You've got to be looking at, okay, what's our plan B? What's our plan C? Um, and I think just overall, even when you look at Vancouver's top six, um, after having lost Tyler Toffoli, you're looking at perhaps Jake Vertan in your top six, who he's shown the offensive flashes, but two-way inconsistencies ha- have, uh, have, have really pretty substantially held him back and, and the coaching staff. Um, isn't really a huge fan of him in high leverage minutes. I think on, on, on with the top six and, and with the depth of the back end, those are, t- those are the two areas where they're going to go into the season and take a, okay, let's wait and see how this kind of goes approach. And if things you know start to teeter off the rails, if you run into injuries, that's where I think the club could be forced to try and make a, a mid-season trade uh, to try and, uh, and bolster their depth. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, it's weird to say just there's so many question marks about a team that uh, really had such a successful playoff run last year. You know, they, they overachieved in a, lot of, in a lot of aspects. And I know that, you know, I've had my own personal qualms with how people have treated that second round exit because they got absolutely killed by Vegas in about four or five of those games where Demko just stood on his head. But um, it is weird to see because it sounds like we're overly negative. But, you know, I still like the team. And 
Um, I, I just, you know, as you said, I think to Foley, they are going to miss him. Um, you know, his underlying numbers were very, very strong. Um, I, I do think if we want to talk about underlying numbers, uh, Jamie or Jordy Ben, sorry, is someone who has had uh, very strong underlying numbers in terms of expected goals and Corsi four in um, a, a pretty sheltered role in the past. So at the very least that, you know, he can hopefully step in and just be respectable on the third pair. And, you know, if you have Hughes, Schmidt, and Ben on three different pairs, it should be hopefully respectable on all three. Um, but as you said up front, you know, losing to Foley's tough. And the other thing is uh, JT Miller was uh, a smashing success last year when they brought him in. You know, I think everyone kind of said, yeah, maybe they didn't really understand giving up the first, but there was clearly a fit. He's a good forward, but to be over point per game, like he was, um, I, I don't think anyone really saw that coming. And, and that's something I'm really curious to see if, uh, he repeats that success or even, you know, stays close to it because he doesn't need to be quite, um, as, you know, he does, I think what he put up 72 points in 69 yeah. games last year, he, he doesn't even need to be that, but if he can be, you know, close to point per game, you know, 0.9 points per game, um, that'll be huge too. It'll be interesting to see if, you know, he really just needed that extended role that he wasn't getting in Tampa or if last year was a bit of um, a hot streak or, you know, maybe somewhere in between because um, that'll really affect how their top six plays, I think, as well. Yeah, when you look at Miller's season um, and, and you peer at the underlying numbers, I mean, there isn't – I mean, there are some things there that are, that are a little bit inflated, but there's nothing that jumps off at you um, when you look at his page and say, oh, that's unsustainable. Like, he's definitely falling back down to earth, I think. Um, it's a lot closer to being opportunity. Now, do, do I expect him to be uh, a point per game again? I, if I were a betting man, I, I'd say probably not. But uh, I think he can be, say, a point, as you mentioned, a point nine points per game type of guy um, on top of his two-way impact and, and what he does from a play-driving perspective uh, because he took over as the guy on PP1 over the second half of the season um, he was quarterbacking it from from the left side, um, and uh, and on line one, I mean, I know a lot of people on on the outside might look at uh, him playing with Pedersen, and, and and they may say, well, how much of that was driven by Pedersen? But really, when you watched him play, like Miller was on, really on for just as many nights as Pedersen was. So that's just how good he was, and I think you can expect to see, you know, a slight step back from Miller. Um, I, I think what you saw from him last last season was him firing on all cylinders, and he really put the team on the on his back for the second half of the season before the shutdown. Um, but so will he come come back to earth a little bit? Yeah, but I I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think it's still reasonable to expect him to produce at say you know obviously adjusted for the the number of games, but say a seventy points per eighty two games type of pace. Yeah, I, I think that's fair too. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I think you've got to be really happy with that if you're Vancouver as well, you know, because uh, he's such a crucial part to the, you know, the top six. Um, obviously, Bo Horvat's great. And I really, I'm a huge fan of Brock Besser. I think, you know, sometimes, I, I think for a year or two there, he was maybe overrated just because anytime he took a shot, it was going in the net. But honestly, I've really liked his play all around. You know, he's not going to win a Selkie or anything like that, but I thought he's really just kind of improved a lot of aspects of his game over the past, you know, season or two. And he just become a really, really strong winger up there that 
maybe doesn't even get talked about enough just because of how good, you know, Hughes and Patterson and even Miller and Markstrom were last year for Vancouver. So I, I do like their top six, as you mentioned, um, it's going to be interesting who takes that next uh, step forward with no Toffoli there, right? Because, um, you know, Vertanen has shown flashes of being that really skilled player they thought when they drafted him, but it just, it hasn't been consistent enough and, and you're going to need more consistency. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if it's, if it's him who steps up or, uh, you know, if maybe they get um, someone they don't expect, you know, I, I really don't know who that might be on this roster, but maybe they get a, a bit of a throwback year from like Tanner Pearson or someone like that. Um, and, and that would be a huge help because their depth isn't, isn't, horrible like I don't think there's um it's not like some teams where you look and it's just a gaping hole at the bottom but they definitely have a clear top six and a clear bottom six where again if they run into injury troubles it'll be interesting to see how they patch together the top six yeah and really it comes down to like we know what the more established wave of young talent can do for this organization you know you mentioned the Pedersen Hughes Horvat Besser types um, right now, um, what I think the, one of the largest determinants is going to be is the second wave of young players and, and sort of prospects, because you're expecting a lot of them to fill into more prominent positions. Um, again, for 10 in the top six, we'll, we'll see how that kind of goes. He's, he's shown, um, exciting signs and, and flashes here and there. He, he, he'd sort of get that cameo on the top line with Patterson and Miller, uh, but uh, as you mentioned, inconsistency and in, in, in defensive um, in defensive negligence has, uh, has, has been an issue for him. Um, so you're relying on him. You're relying on Adam Gaudet as your 3C. He was really good offensively last year, not so much in the two-way department. I think he took, when he first arrived onto the scene, his, uh, his five-on-five two-way impact in terms of expected goal differential was the worst in the NHL. Right. So at least he went from being, you know, barely someone you could trust at five on five to at least being passable. Right. Like he's still not a good two way forward, but um, he's only modestly below average now. And so the key is if he can take another step. Right. He doesn't because right now, offensively, he's 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 good. He's more than good enough to be uh, a, a three C. He he paced it over a half a point a game clip. And I think, in fact, you might see a li- little bit of a slight regression in that sense but um if he can if he can just improve his defensive game then i think he he'd really be able to stabilize the third line because right now what you saw out of him last season was the the way the canucks is kind of set up works with the way they deploy their matchups is so that second line with bo horvat you know that's the one that's going to be going up against connor mcdavid against nathan mckinnon against austin matthews for the most part and what happens with the third line with the Godet one is they get heavily sheltered. And so for that setup to kind of work, you need the third line to feast on soft underbelly of other teams' competition. Like they need to crush this uh, other teams' you know, fourth lines. Um, they haven't quite been doing that you know, to this point that uh, with, with Godet, Godet on the ice, the Canucks have actually been outscored despite uh, his, uh, his production in all situations. So, I think he's really important. So you look at Vertanen, you look at Gaudet, um, you look at a player like uh, Zach McEwen kind of stepping up and, and sort of factoring into maybe your third line as well. Um, and as far as, uh, you know, the back end, we've talked about Ulevi, we've talked about Rathbone. 
Um, and then to go back to kind of like the, the, the top six, as much as people hate to, hate to even think about this, we may even see if Vertanen can't stick it. We may even see Louis Eriksson get get a shot here here and there. Um, we saw Eriksson with Horvat and Pearson um, with the shutdown line, and look, he's an offensive black hole. There's no denying it. Um, he's a replacement level player at this stage in his career, but he offers a very specific defensive skill set. He offers consistency. Um, he offers reliability, and for that reason, the coaching staff has kind of trusted him in those higher leverage minutes. And, and that line had, you know, modest success uh, from a two-way perspective. So you may even see Erickson back uh, back in the top six if, uh, if things don't work out. So uh, a lot of moving parts. And, and again, I think more or less you know what you're going to get out of your your young studs. You know what you're going to get out of your, your bottom six um, veterans, you know, the Sutter and Beagle types where um, you know more or less what you've gotten from them in years past is what you're going to get again. It's the in between. It's the it's the next wave of young talent. Where um, and in goaltending too. Where where those are. I think that's going to tip the scales one way or another. Yeah, and the Louis Erickson point's great too because uh, he reminds me a lot of Milan Lucic in the terms of they were probably underrated for a significant part of their career and then they got paid and they became so overrated for a couple of years that like. They're probably back to being underrated, contract aside, obviously. Like, yes, he's not a $6 million player. Same with Lucic. He's not six and a half or whatever he's making. But at the same time, both of them drive some positive results in the defensive area of the ice, at least in a sheltered enough role on the third or fourth line where it's like, at least this guy's providing you with some value, you know? And ideally, you'd rather be paying him a third of that amount, but you're not, and there's nothing you can do about that. So using him in the most effective way, and if that's a a shutdown winger kind of way, it might not be the worst idea to try just to see how it goes. Because, you know, like even, you know, over a multi-season thing, if you look at evolving hockey, um, yeah, he has not been good at goals. Goals four for 60 has not been his strong suit. Um, But in the defensive end, he's put up at least respectable numbers, you know, like, and that's all you can probably ask for at this point of your, of his career. Like, you know what you're going to kind of get from Louis Erickson, as long as you're not expecting him to throw up 25 goals or whatever, if he can chip in a couple goals and just play responsibly in his own end, you know, that'll be a big enough uh, help just in itself, I think. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it plugs a hole. And um, I think this is where the Canucks really miss uh, Josh Levo because in the first half of the season, with Vancouver's right-wing depth, the way it kind of worked was for the start of the season, it was Levo kind of playing in that uh, – actually, he wasn't even just – he mostly played with Horvat, but he was sh- being shuttled up and down uh, the top line. He could play both wings and had a ton of versatility. Um, and so he could offer the same defensive reliability that uh, Louis Erickson did, but he also offered a, a ton of offensive value. He was, I believe, in terms of five on five points per 60 – um, fourth before he got injured and uh, he had that season ending uh, knee knee injury and uh, that's where the Canucks had to make a move and bring in Tyler Toffoli who kind of came into the top six and, and filled and was an upgrade on Levo in that capacity but that's where I mean you saw what Levo signed for with Calgary I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head but sort of in that one million dollar range I think maybe even 975 um, if I'm not mistaken but uh if you could have signed him for that uh, number, and of course there was some injury risk. You don't know if he's going to be the same player that he was last year, but 
when you're talking about a guy making a million dollars, especially you can bury that amount in the AHL without accounting against the cap. I mean, you're essentially taking a flyer that uh, there's no downside risk and there's modest upside where he can fill in. Like I'm a lot more comfortable um, with my right wing depth if I have Josh Levo. Even even if let's say you want Vertanen in your top six, then all of a sudden you at least then at least you bump someone like Brandon Sutter further down the lineup, right? Because then you can have Levo as the stable two way presence who can at least offer some offense next to Goddard as opposed to Sutter, right? So. Um, I think he would have been um, a nice addition for for just stabilizing that right wing depth. And um, unfortunately, he picked uh, he picked Calgary, and so right now, right wing depth is uh, is a big problem for the Canucks. Yeah, and you really wonder. Um, you know, I love Josh Levo. I've loved him since he was a Toronto Maple Leaf. Which again, as a Sens fan, it was always weird. And I was happy to see him get out. And I was hoping he was getting his chance in Vancouver. And it really looked like he was getting. You know, his breakout season so to speak last year and unfortunately you know the knee injury ended his season um you really wonder what the conversations were like with um him in Vancouver that he chose Calgary over Vancouver and considering as you said I just looked it up it was it was 875 so it was pretty much league wow. minimum almost like 25k off the minimum uh you know in the league and he signed with uh, Calgary instead and part of me wonders if you know he maybe got told that there's going to be more of a chance in Calgary for him to play in you know the top six because they have just kind of a glut of left wing and right wing guys you know like Matt Kachuk is a left wing or right wing he can kind of play both Lindholm plays center and right wing uh Mangia Payne is going to bounce up and down that lineup but it, it to me almost I, I almost wonder if he just wanted to change the scenery or if he felt that Vancouver, he wasn't going to get the shot in the top six or whatever that he wanted. And, and if the latter is the case, I really think it was a mistake by Vancouver because as you said, like, yes, there's always going to be a huge question marks coming back about a guy who hadn't really proven that he was a full-time top six guy by any means, but it showed potential of it. He's coming off a big injury, but at that cheap, or even if you signed him for a million dollars or whatever, gave him a bit of a raise, like, it's just so hard to see where you really backfire from that, you know, because he's got to be like truly bad not to live up to at least the $1 million paycheck you give him. And I thought that would have been a reasonable bet. So I'm really curious to to know if it it was just a Levo decision or if he felt he was going to have more opportunity to play in Calgary than say Vancouver. Yeah. I think when you look at a lot, a lot of the UFAs that uh, left Vancouver um, aside from Markstrom, um, you look at uh, Tanev, you look at Stetcher, um, and I think this applies to Levo as well. Is um, I get the sense that with a lot of these players, the you know they kind of felt slighted by how Vancouver kind of put them on the back burner because in the lead up to free agency, as Vancouver, because as, as you might remember, they were in on Oliver Ekman Larson for, for a big while, and, and Markstrom was their number one priority. Um, there was very little conversation with Toffoli, with Tanev, with Stetcher, and, and I think a lot of these, a lot of these guys felt, um, felt, felt that they weren't being truly valued. And I know that, uh, for instance, with, with Chris Tanev, um, they went to him late on day one of free agency with with an offer, and Jim Benning told media that he expected to hear back from him in the morning. Well, Tanev signed later that night; like he didn't even have to wait till the morning, um, and it's because he kind of came in late 
um, with that uh, type of offer. And uh, you look at the Stetcher situation, what happened with him was Canucks, I think it might have been day three, day two or day three free agency where they went to him in the morning after striking out on Tyson Berry. Um, and they said, uh, we'd like to bring you back. And, and look, Stetcher's a hometown guy. He's from Vancouver, grew up here. Like he ble- I- I've never seen a player in my life more willing, more having, a, having, a, having as much desire to play for his hometown team. Like it, I think it truly pained him to leave Vancouver. But the way it worked was they went to him in, the, uh, went to him in, in sort of the late morning, early afternoon, and said, uh, well, after striking on him, Barry, um, you know, would like to, would like to look at, or maybe this was before striking on Barry and they were kind of waiting, but anyway, they, they went to him and said, we're interested, but we're waiting to see, you know, what else kind of shakes out. Maybe that was in fact, Barry, they were waiting to see if they could, if they could get him. Um, and you know, Stetcher had an offer on the table from Detroit already. And he said, look, I can't really wait here. I've either, you can either offer something now and you know, I'll, I'll take it or, I've got to take this, like, I can't risk losing this Detroit offer and then you not coming to the table. And I'm, and I'm left in this musical uh, chairs game without, uh, without a seat. So he, he then declined them, went to Detroit. And so I think with Levo, I think they similarly put him kind of on the back burner as a later priority. So I think that, number one, you don't feel as valued, right? You want to go to a place where the organization truly desires and, and, and values your skill set. Um, and so I think there was that aspect at play, um, obviously with Calgary too, like Markstrom left there, Tanev left there, eventually Louis Deming, Vancouver's third string goaltender left to Calgary. Um, so there was, I think a familiar familiarity, uh, you know, factor there. Um, and so, you know, beyond that, I'm, 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 I'm not entirely sure. I think Vancouver made a late one year uh, late in the stage, made a one, late one-year offer. Um, so uh, Levo turned it down. I'm not entirely sure why. I think, you know, obviously he has a pretty good opportunity in Calgary too. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it may have in part been him just kind of being left on the back burner like a lot of Canucks free agents. Well, and that's um, definitely fair from the player's perspective any year, but especially this year because – you know, you saw it took Taylor Hall a couple days to sign, and he signed a one-year deal. You know, Mike Hoffman, at the time of recording, still isn't signed any team. And so it makes so much more sense where it's like, especially this year, where it's like, okay, if I don't get a deal done as a – not a fringe guy, but, you know, a depth guy, definitely, for both Setcher and Lebo's sake, where it's like, okay, if I have a deal, I should take it because it's not getting much better than this, you know? like, yeah. um, And it's not like Setcher signed for a ton of money either. It was 1.7 mil for two years. Yeah. and which is fair value, probably even a little under undervalued for him, I would say. But um, it, it does make sense in terms of like, yes, you got to put your priorities first because if you can get a Tyson Berry, um, sure, then you're probably not quite as worried about a uh, Stetcher. But at the same time, it makes total sense that uh, Stetcher is going to be offended or Lebo is going to be offended that, you know, they're fourth, fifth, or sixth on the chopping block here. And it's like, okay, well, as much as we want, you know, you want us to wait, we can't do it. So, I, I think it makes enough sense from both sides yeah. and um, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's just the way the business shakes out sometime. Um, the last thing I wanted to get your just opinion on was uh, the, the Canadian division as a whole. Uh, do you have, what teams do you have making the playoffs? You know, I think we can probably agree. It's going to be, should be relatively close between 
all the teams, definitely the top six. Um, do you have Vancouver making the playoffs? You know, who do you have missing? Uh, you know, is there any hot take uh, that you have? How do you see the Canadian division shaking out this year? Yeah, I think um, the way I kind of see it is I look at Toronto, I think, as, uh, as a clear favorite in that division just because, um, you know, last year they – drastically underperformed I think their true ability level and sometimes what you need and you look at Tampa as a, as a perfect example and I don't mean this to say that uh, Toronto is going to go out and win the Stanley Cup um, but uh, sometimes you just need a kick in the rear um, to get going and, and I think what happened last year for Toronto was pretty embarrassing especially when you look at you know the David Ayers game and so you know, getting knocked out in the wild card again. And so I think that's sometimes just what you need to really wake up a little bit, um, especially after coach gets fired. So um, I think uh, for that reason, I think it's going to revive Toronto a little bit. And if they play to their true ability level, I mean, at least in the regular season, I'm not going to speak for the playoffs because that's still to be determined. But um, at least for the regular season, I think they'll win a playoff spot pretty comfortably. Um, And then, so you kind of have Toronto at the top and I'm sorry to say this, but you know, you kind of have Ottawa at the bottom where, I mean, they could sneak in, but I, I, I don't see them as a realistic playoff threat. And so you have those two teams top and bottom. And then in between, it's just kind of a mushy middle where any team could theoretically slot anywhere, right? Between Calgary, Montreal, Vancouver, Edmonton, uh, Winnipeg, like those teams could slot in any order and I wouldn't blink an eye. Uh, and, and, and so I think right now what teams I maybe handicap an advantage to, I like, uh, I, I think I like Calgary. Um, yep. I, I, you know, you look at the addition of Markstrom. I don't like the contracts on either Markstrom or Tanev, but I think Markstrom's going to stabilize a goaltending position for them. Um, I think he can be a workhorse starter for them. Uh, Tanev will, will I think, be a, a modest upgrade on Travis uh, on Travis Hamanick, um after the type of year that Hamanick had. Um, so I like the way that their defense core is kind of rounding out, and uh, I, and I think you can expect to bounce back from Goudreau and Monahan too. So um, they don't have the elite top end talent that I think uh, in Edmonton or Toronto or Vancouver does, but um, I like them. Um, I think Montreal could surprise some teams. Um, I think uh, I think their top one with Dano, um, Gallagher, and Tatar is criminally underrated. Yeah. They go up against they hard match against the other teams' best lines. And look, they're not going to put up huge point totals, but they had something ridiculous like a fifty-seven or fifty-eight percent goal share. It was yeah, it was unreal. like they outscored the best players in the league. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't just that they got lucky. Like, they legitimately controlled the possession. They controlled the scoring chances. They just throttled. Um, yeah. And so part of that, of course, comes in with how well well coached and structured they are and how I think that maybe gives them an edge in terms of uh, starting, uh, you know, just hitting hitting the run running quickly. Um, so there's that aspect. I think adding Tyler Toffoli helps stabilize the middle six. And I think, you know, you combine the Toffoli addition with, um, the internal improvement that I think you can see from Isbury, Kakanyemi, and Nick Suzuki. And I think the middle six becomes a lot stronger. And again, I just like Montreal's depth. Um, you look at the back end, same thing. You kind of like the shape of, the, uh, of you know, just kind of how things are rounding out. Um, and you've obviously got uh, Romanov coming in too, who he could be a little bit of a game changer if, if, uh, uh, if, 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 if things work out there. And 
Uh, plus, you've got, I mean, I didn't like the Jake Allen acquisition in terms of the acquisition cost, but he's going to be a reliable backup. They needed that for Gary yeah. Price. And so I, I kind of like them. Um, I could see Vancouver slotting in, you know, number four. I, you know, I think they're on, I think they're on the bubble. I think they're on the fence of a playoff spot. Um, depends again on health. A lot of the factors we talked about. Uh, I'm a little bit less bullish on Winnipeg um, and, and Edmonton too. I think, see, the funny thing is if, if Clef Baum was healthy, I'd be a lot more comfortable with Edmonton. I'd probably for sure have them in my top four making the playoffs. I think Edmonton's now probably in the same category as Vancouver where I have them on the cusp. Um, like I think I have Toronto as my clear, you know, kind of like number one. I, I have Calgary as kind of like, I think they slot in, finish the year either two or three. And then I think it's Montreal, Edmonton, Vancouver kind of fighting for, for three and four. Um, I, I also see Winnipeg in that fight, but I, I view them a peg lower just because I don't like their blue line. I don't like their depth. I think they're too reliant on their goaltending. And, and, uh, and so for that reason, uh, I view them, I, I view them a little bit lower than, uh, than Edmonton or, or Vancouver, but um, they could certainly threaten to, to make the playoffs as well. So that's kind of how I see the division uh, uh, sort of shaking out. And uh, the way it is, I mean, so much of it is like with how close the margin is. I think it's going to come down to things like health and um, variables that are almost out of a team's control. Uh, but that's kind of my preliminary perspective of these teams, at least on paper. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I wish there'd be a little more, I, I wish I could disagree with you a little more here just for the sake of conversation, but I, I agree pretty much with that whole thing. I mean, the more I look at Calgary, I just kind of, I tried to take a step back and go, where am I looking different than the market of this team? Because they right now have the, the same cup odds as the Ottawa Senators, which really? seems, yeah, on Pinnacle, they are <laughs> both, they're both ranked 20th at like plus, uh, let me check what it is. Maybe it's changed since the other day, but the other day I like, I almost spit out my drink because of it. A, I couldn't believe Ottawa was that high, but B, I was like, how did like, Ottawa's how did, 20th? yeah, like I was who's, like, who's I, below them. Okay, let me go through this one more time because it is like the odds were insane to the point where like I don't think Calgary's going to win the cup, but I yeah. almost <laughs> am debating tossing some money down on it just because it's like oh, well, toss a couple bucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like all right, NHL. Here we go. Um, yeah, okay. So it was uh, below, so it goes from the bottom up: Detroit, LA, Anaheim, New Jersey, Chicago, Arizona, San Jose, Minnesota, Florida, Columbus, and then Ottawa. So Ottawa is ahead of 10 teams, and then it goes wow. Winnipeg and Calgary. Ottawa is at plus three, uh, 3,843. Winnipeg and Calgary are plus wow. 3,842. So they are basically identical together at um, the 18 to 20 range. And that blows my mind. I'm like, where – where am I? And like, even just, I think the general perception of Calgary is that they're a flawed team. And like, yeah, like I wrote about the other day that I think Johnny Goudreau is going to be the key to their season because if he doesn't bounce back, yes, I could see them struggling a lot. But um, as you mentioned, the contracts aren't great, but for this one year, I thought they significantly upgraded their team by bringing in Markstrom, uh, Levo, bringing back Mangia Payne. I thought Dominic Simon is going to help uh, shore up the depth problem that they maybe had. Um, I, I just, I, I look at this, I'm like, where am I going different than this team, you know? And maybe it's the blue line, you know, they're asking 
a lot of Giordano at 37. Um, you know, they lost TJ Brody and brought in Tanev. Um, so they're going to ask, uh, you know, a couple of their young guys. They got uh, Hannafin, Anderson, Valimaki, Kylington. Um, you know, all those guys are 22 to 24. I think a couple of them need to step up. But, like, I, I couldn't believe that they were that low in betting. Like, bu- the Buffalo Sabres have better odds than the Flames and Jets to win the Cup. And wow. maybe the Jets, but, like, the Calgary Flames, I just thought that was way, way too low. Definitely. Definitely agree. But, um, yeah, I think other than that, I, I have Toronto as, like, a, a – tier above everyone else um me and my buddy you know we have another podcast uh, chase mccallum and we try to tier the team so you know we don't have to we rank the teams within the tiers but the tiers are what ultimately matters because it's like anything can happen we both had toronto one ottawa definitely last and then yeah a mix of the other couple teams and the more i look at it, i think the more obvious calgary at number two is to me um i, I like edmonton's forwards as well, I mean, obviously McDavid and Dreisaitl, but yeah. I, I thought they did an okay job shoring up the depth a little bit, but that goaltending scares me too. And no Clefbaum. Yeah. I, I thought Tyson Berry was a good fit to replace Clefbaum, at least on the power play, but five that goaltending five. scares me, you know? Like, and yeah, and five on five, you know, Barry wasn't as atrocious as people make him out to be last year in Toronto. Like, under Keefe, he was okay, but he's just, he's not amazing, you know? Like, he, he is what he is. He's going to bring you some offense, but he's going to, he's not going to play a lot of defense very well. So, um, but yeah, and then Vancouver and Montreal are both kind of in the same boat. Um, you know, it just, it depends on one thing here or there, you know, I, I'm not that, I'm not super high on Carey Price anymore. I think he's an okay goalie. I don't think he's this guy who everyone still sees as a top five who could steal, you know, a whole season or anything like that. Um, I, I do think having Jake Allen to at least help him when he's struggling is going to help a lot because, even as recently as last year, it's like, okay, if Carey Price isn't winning games, no one is winning games in that because yeah. they're, they're, they were playing like anti-Niemi a year or two ago. It's just like, okay, yeah, like this is not going to work, right? Um, so I, I think Jake Allen will help. But, yeah, I think Vancouver, Montreal, and Edmonton are all kind of in that spot where they'll probably be yeah. fighting for the last two spots. <clears throat> and, and Winnipeg should be there too. But, yeah, like I'm down on the Winnipeg roster. And the biggest concern to me is, A, their forwards don't perform quite as well as I think people think they do, at least on five on five, yeah. you know, they, um, and, and I think some of that might be the defensive help too, but B, they had one of, no, they had the worst defense core in the league last year. And the only thing they did to help it was bring back Dylan DeMello, who I love. I think he's a great player, but when he's clearly your second, maybe third best defenseman, it's like, Ooh, yikes. Yeah. This is uh, this is a bit of an issue, you know? So even if Hellebuck takes like a little step back, and there's no internal growth, they're going to be in a lot of trouble, I think. So I, I definitely agree with you. I think everyone will have a bit of a chance. I mean, even Ottawa. I, I think they're definitely going to be the distant seventh team. But, I mean, we saw last year, they came out and fought every game that they could last year. You know, like, I, I don't think they're going to roll over and just be uh, so far away from everything yeah. that, you know, it's not, it's not going to be easy points any night in this division. And I think that's what's going to be great to watch. You know, like, it's going to be – rivalry hockey it's going to be you know every team is going to want to take points off of each other whether they're in the playoff race or not and uh i I just i'm so excited to get the season going again you know it's been it feels like it's been forever without hockey and you know um it just doesn't feel right looking out in december and not having a hockey game on the tv um thank you so much for joining me today uh you know plug some stuff where can people find you your work you know your twitter um you know plug anything yeah, uh, just uh, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can find my work obviously covering the, covering the Canucks and uh, on Twitter, 
uh, Harman Dial 2, um, H-A-R-M-A-N-D-A-Y-A-L 2. Uh, you can follow me there. And uh, yeah, that's where I have all my work and all my takes. So if you see something uh, you like or don't like, uh, whatever, check it out and, uh, and roast, me on my, uh, roast me on my takes. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining me. This was an absolute blast. I can't wait to catch up down the road too. Thanks for having me. Huge thanks to Harmon for joining me. As I said, uh, I thought that was a great interview. I'm really having more and more fun every time I do this. I really hope you guys are enjoying them too. Uh, Harmon's one of the best young minds out in hockey out there, in my opinion. Um, I'm so happy to see you know he, he's uh, being a beat reporter for the Vancouver Canucks. If you guys are looking to expand your coverage past the Ottawa Senators, definitely someone I recommend following. Uh, his work is amazing, uh, and definitely if you have the athletic, check him out on there. Uh, as I mentioned with the series, I hope you guys enjoyed this first episode. Uh, I just I'd love to hear any feedback comments you guys have anything you want to see change or or stay the same going forward um, I'm gonna try and probably keep most of the division previews similar to that where we, we talk a lot about the other team because you know we're gonna as Suns fans we're gonna be seeing every team a lot this season so it's probably good to know what they're made of um, as mentioned before if there's anyone you want to hear um, talk about the Flames or Oilers those are two teams I'm still kind of reaching out and feeling about and trying to figure out who should come on. If there's anyone you want to hear talk about them, just shoot me their name over DM or, you know, on Twitter or whatever. Uh, I'd love to hear it. Absolutely. Um, so I hope everyone is having a happy holidays, you know, staying safe. Uh, I know here in Ontario, we're going back down to lockdown starting when this podcast is out. So uh, that won't change much for me. I'm just kind of sitting at home anyways, waiting for the new school semester to start. But I, I really do hope everyone's staying safe and, um, if you get to see your family over the holidays, great. That's you know, I hope it was awesome. Um, if not, you know, hang in there. You know, you'll get to see uh, we'll we'll get to see family normally again soon. So, uh, happy holidays, everyone. You know, Merry Christmas or you know whatever you celebrate. And uh, the next podcast should be out before the new year. But if not, have a happy New Year. I uh, will talk to you all next week.